I'm Marco Werman. This is The World. China has seen explosive growth and profound social changes in recent years, and Jeffrey Bader has had a front-row seat to watch it all unfold. Bader was one of President Obama's China policy architects until he left the White House a year ago. His new book is called Obama and China's Rise, an insider's account of America's Asia strategy. In it, Jeffrey Bader describes a China slowly repositioning itself on the global stage. That repositioning is evident, he says, in today's news that China is officially urging its ally, Syria, to abide by a U.N.-sponsored peace plan. They've been clearly unnerved by the Arab Spring. Uh, They're much more comfortable with stable places than with places in turmoil. Uh, Syria, they, along with the Russians, vetoed a resolution that had a 13 to 2 vote in the Security Council a month or two ago. I think that put them on the wrong side of some of their key friends in the region. The Arab League strongly supported the resolution, and uh, more importantly, perhaps so does Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is a key strategic partner uh, for China. I think China has reflected uh, about the strategic harm that they may have been doing to themselves as a result of these alignments that I mentioned, and they are trying to reposition themselves. So that's quite interesting what they've done uh, in the last 24 hours. They don't want to irritate the Saudis in the Arab League. I think that's what it's about. What can Washington actually do to get China's real sincere help in dealing with Syria? Well, I think the main thing is to get them supportive of a U.N. Security Council process and to use whatever leverage they have in Damascus to try to move towards a transition. The Chinese natural instinct is to respect the sovereignty of states. They, they were, the, in their view, the victims of imperialism and colonialism in the 19th and first half of the 20th century. So they see uh, Western interventions in places like Syria through the prism of their own uh, victimhood, uh, their own history. So what they need to do in this case is to overcome that and to understand that this is uh, a part of the world where change is coming, whether they like it or not. And the question is whether they want to be on the side of change with the benefits that come from that uh, or want to be kind of the last man standing resisting and have to pay the price with uh, new governments that come into power. And I think they're showing some adaptation now. We learned last week from analyst uh, Wang Jixi, a, f- a Chinese foreign policy insider, that the senior leadership of the Chinese government distrusts Washington to a dangerous degree. And according to Wang Jixi, the period of China keeping a low profile is over. Uh, is this paranoia building? Uh, are we indeed entering a new, more dangerous uh, relationship with China? Well, I know Wang Jixi very well. The piece that he wrote laid out what I view as the harder-edged positions within the Chinese leadership in terms of distrust of the United States. I don't really think that it's becoming more profound. It's, it's real, but it's not the total story. It's true, though, that China's been running a healthy trade surplus uh, over the U.S. Uh, for years, and many believe their military is much more robust than most estimates. So uh, on some levels, it's got to be undeniable to you that China is eclipsing the U.S., and that's got to create some mistrust. I wouldn't use the word eclipse. I agree with the premise that China's rising, that China's becoming more of a, a factor in global affairs, that the gap between the U.S. and China, whether it's in the economic realm or the military realm, Uh, is narrowing. But one has to start with how big the gap is to begin with. Mm. Per capita GDP in the U.S. is something like about 10 times per capita GDP in China. So if that gap is closing, well, that's a long time to close. They're trying to gain a stronger position in the Western Pacific within, let's say, a thousand miles of their coast, which they see as defensive, but from our point of view, makes it harder for us 
to defend our allies and to conduct operations. So, yes, there, there are definitely some trends that we have to be aware of. But the notion that we are about to be uh, eclipsed, we're about to become uh, the number two power, I think that that is, frankly, a fantasy. There are new overtures in Burma right now toward democracy and uh, w- with major efforts from the Obama administration to push the government of Burma to open up. I'm wondering if you think North Korea will, will see Burma as a model and also want to come in from the cold. I think that's a fascinating question. The short answer is no, but there still are interesting analogies between the two, both very repressive countries for the last several decades, both countries that have uh, relied heavily on their relationships with China. And in Burma's case, they seem to have made the decision that they're prepared to take some risks internally in order to have more varied international partners among the U.S., uh, the Europeans, uh, than they've had in the past. The North Koreans similarly have a relationship of heavy dependence on, on China, which they're not comfortable with. But I think the difference is the North Korean regime, uh, as difficult, as bad, as repressive as the Burmese regime is, it's been somewhat exposed to the outside world, mostly through its membership in ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Mm -hmm. Nations. It hasn't been as locked down as North Korea. North Korea really has a tiny group of Communist Party cadres who have run that place with an iron fist for 60 years. For them to make a decision to open up even slightly, just seems contrary to their DNA. But I agree with the premise of your question that sitting there, they ought to take a look at what's going on in Burma and see if there is some relevance to their own situation. Jeffrey Bader, I got to say something uh, we uh, journalists find uh, quite frustrating is interviewing diplomats, and you are a diplomat. I mean, diplomats are trained not to give deep details and to hide their cards. There's got to be some great story that you can share with us. I've had a a wonderful time in the White House the last few years. The experience with President Obama has been uh, simply extraordinary. Uh, I think he's brought tremendous uh, focus to Asia. He spent his formative years in Indonesia. And I recall when he met with um, President Yudhoyono of Indonesia, we had breakfast uh, in Toronto back in 2010. And uh, the Indonesian press came in and President Obama greeted them in Bahasa, the language of Indonesia. Usually when an American speaks an Asian language, there's usually some giggling and laughter as if, isn't it funny how the uh, American is trying to sound like an Asian? Mm-hmm. No laughter and no, no giggling at all. And President Obama leaned over and said to President Yudhoyono, oh, you know, I speak Bahasa with a perfect accent, <laughs> which struck me as uncharacteristically immodest for President Obama. And then he added seconds later, of course, I have the vocabulary of a six-year-old. Uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, it, was a, it was a great ride. Jeffrey Bader served as a special assistant to President Obama. His new book is called Obama and China's Rise, an insider's account of America's Asia strategy. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marco. We have a video extra from my interview with Jeffrey Bader where he tells us about an embarrassing episode that involved a game of golf with the prime minister of Malaysia. Watch the video at theworld.org.